take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter number 9. That's where we'll be starting today, Acts chapter 9. Take out your worship guide and the handout that you should have received. And we invite you to follow along as we study God's Word together. Acts chapter number 9. And as we mentioned at the beginning of the service, we are thankful and uh, uh, looking forward to this special Sunday as we really uh, give you an opportunity to learn more about uh, the different areas of ministry. There's about eight different teams that you can get plugged into here at Fairview, and we're always looking for a reason to create other teams. And so you can see a listing of them here at the end of our service, and actually on the back of your bulletin, you'll be able to see where all the team meetings will be occurring. However, we also have some tables set up, and we're going to have team representatives at the table to give you a little bit of an idea of what that team involves. Also, uh, something that we would encourage you to do is if you've never taken a spiritual gift survey, that go by the Next Steps area, and we might have some of those over here at our tables as well, but they're also at the Next Steps area, and find out what your spiritual gifting is, and then ask yourself what are some areas where you could see yourself getting plugged in and serving. Um, because the reality is, is I think sometimes we allow the challenge of serving, thinking, well, I can't teach or preach, or I can't work with babies in the nursery, so therefore there's no area for me to serve in. Well, the reality is there's so many more uh, other areas where you can serve and where we know that God has equipped and gifted you. And so here's a listing of those teams, and we'll tell you more about that at the end of the service, where the teams will be meeting. And here's the other thing we want you to know. Um, if, if you go to one of these meetings and you say, you know, I'm kind of interested in this, we're not going to lock you into a team where you have to serve indefinitely forever. How many of you sometimes you're like, I'm afraid to commit because I'm afraid I might get locked into serving like for eternity and I might not like it after a while. Raise your hand and be honest if that's ever been a concern for you in a church where you're like, ah, you know, they're asking me to serve, but I'm not sure because I might get ooh, locked in. Well, the reality is, is we don't want that to be the feeling here. and We want to have enough folks serving where we can have rotations. We, we're trying to work with this with our Kids Point team to where our Kids Point teachers can have a break if they need it. Now, some folks have taught for 20 years and they won't complain a Sunday, you know. They love it. We have longtime teachers who have served every day for years. Uh, and, and so that's, that's not a problem, but we're really trying to have our church be at a place where uh, we have many people serving to where you do get seasons of rest. As we preached on last week, we all need that. So I, I hope that you'll stay afterwards. It's not going to be a long morning in the sense that these ministry team meetings will probably be actually a little shorter than our small groups would be. And so hope that you'll stay and check out a team, maybe test drive one for two to three weeks, see if you like it, see if you enjoy it, see if that's where you're gifted, and then try out another one. So um, really looking forward to today. And so with that, the title of the sermon today is Selflessly Serving Others. And so today is Serve Sunday fall 2019. Before we look at our key text, which will launch us off into a couple of other passages that we'll look at, we're actually going to look at three people in the Bible who served and selflessly served. But before we do that, let me ask you a question, and that is this. What do others say that you are always doing? What do others say that you are always doing? Would they say about you that you're always encouraging? Would they say about you that you're always griping? Would they say about you that you're always finding fault with others? 
Would they say about you that you're always finding the good in others? Would they say that you're always hardworking or would they say you're always lazy? Maybe some would say that that person's always sharing their faith or they've always got a smile on their face or they're always looking for someone who's hurting so that they can minister to them. Or maybe some would say you're always on your phone. <laughs> say that a lot today about people in our culture. Or maybe some would say that you're always selflessly serving others. Well, that is the title of the message today, Selflessly Serving Others. And the reason for this title is because, sadly, that's the opposite of what we find in our culture mostly today, of what people are always focused on doing. We live in a selfish, self-centered, self-focused, self-gratifying, self-promoting culture. We live in the Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, fill-in-the-blank, me-promoting culture, always worried about building a platform of followers. And so if you Google self-promotion, you're going to find all kinds of articles about how you can be a better self-promoter. And um, so, yeah, so, so, so the list goes. And you'll find a lot of help on how to promote yourself. And the reality is, is the world will tell you that promoting yourself, raising yourself up is a skill that you really need to get good at. Because without it, you're going to be at the bottom for the rest of your life. So self-promotion is pervasive in our culture today. Uh, when you talk to teenagers today and ask them what is the common career aspiration for teens today, 54% would say their goal is to be a celebrity to be the next American Idol or to be the next YouTube sens sensation with one to two million followers and have your channel monetized. That would be the goal. Uh, uh, some teens would say it like this. They want to be the goat. Come on, teenagers. You know what we're talking about when we talk about the goat. Who's the goat, right? I mean, and, and what does the goat stand for? G-O-A-T, what does it stand for? The greatest, my son was quick on the draw this morning. Yes, my son just started playing a video game and he's focused on becoming the goat in that video game. He wants to be the greatest of all time. And I, I didn't know if you know this, but they've got some pretty uh, 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 rewarding tournaments that you actually win money for. Who knew that playing video games could be a profession? Now, that's not gonna probably happen for most people in here, but uh, yeah, who's the goat? Who's the greatest of all time? Well, the reality is, is Jesus says that the goal of life is not to be the goat. The goal is not to be the greatest of all time. Jesus says if you want to follow him and walk in the spirit and live out the spirit-filled life that honors God, then Jesus says to deny yourself and not promote yourself. And so his teaching comes diametrically opposed to the self-promoting, self-serving culture of today. He says in Matthew 23, 11, he says, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. So if we're a follower of Jesus, we're not called to, to promote ourselves. We're called to live a selfless life, not a selfish and self-centered life, but instead we're called to live a selfless life of serving others. Not to be focused on being the greatest, the goat of all time, the greatest of all time, but being a servant. And the truth about serving, serving is not just something that we do. I think sometimes when we hear messages on serving, we think, okay, serving God is something that I do, like it's an action. 
And yes, serving is activity involved, as we'll see today. But serving so much more is about who we are on the inside and who God has made us to be. So a servant is not just something that we do, but a servant is someone that we are because God is working in and through our lives. Christ now lives within us. We have a relationship with him. And so a servant is who we are. So what is, what is it that you're always doing? What are you always doing? Now, the reason this question is important is because there's a lady in Acts chapter 9, and she kicks off our study today as we talk about serving. And I love this story because it's a story about a lady who likes to sew. We got any people out there who like to sew, you know, sew clothes, make outfits? Any ladies like that? Yeah, Gail, she's an interior decorator. She knows how to sew. I've been to her house and seen some of her handiwork. Um, anybody else? Seamstresses in here? My mom used to sew. Rachel sews. So we got people who like to sew. Well, this story is about a lady who liked to sew. Her name is Tabitha. In the Greek, her name was Dorcas. I'm not sure why you would name your daughter Dorcas. But anyway, uh, her, her, her name was Tabitha. In Acts chapter 9, verse 36, look at what it says about Tabitha, also known as Dorcas. It says, Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, helping the poor, which she did. Now, that's, this is how the King James says it, and I, and I love studying this and, and digging into the text because here's another way that this is said, and this is literally what that phrase, full of good works, means. She was always doing good and helping the poor. So when the name Tabitha came up and someone was to ask, what's Tabitha always doing? People's immediate response would be, she's always doing good and helping the poor. Tabitha literally was a servant. Serving wasn't just something that she did. This had permeated the core of her being, and she was a vital instrument of service in the early church. In fact, if you read the following verses here after chapter 9, verse 36, and you read that next several verses down to 43, you'll see that evidently her role was so important that she dies and Peter raises her from the dead. They really needed seamstresses in the first century. <laughs> they really needed people who were serving the poor, serving the church. And, and so because of this situation where she dies, she's known for being a servant, always doing good. That's what she was known for. Peter raises her from the dead. And because of this miracle that happens around her life, and because of the Lord working in and through her, many people came to know Christ because... Of her life. So what are we always known for, always doing? How do we become a faithful servant? Now you might say, Pastor Brian, I can't make clothes like Tabitha, or I can't preach or teach a class and lead a group. I'm not outspoken. I'm a, I'm a behind-the-scenes person. Good. We need all different parts of the body of Christ working together in unison, together serving the Lord. And so with that, you might say, I can't do that. Let's talk about what we can do today. What every person in this room can do. How do we become a faithful servant? I want to give you three things that you can do today to become a faithful servant. Number one, the first thing that you can do to become a faithful servant is bring 
a lunch. Look with me. Turn, uh, turn over to 1 Samuel 17, and I want us to look at a story here about, the, about a well-known individual from the Old Testament. This is a, a story about King David from the Old Testament. Now, what was David really known for in the Old Testament? Well, he was known as the giant slayer. He was known as the war hero. In fact, David was so famous as the war hero that when he came home, ladies would write songs and sing them in the streets about how many people he had triumphed over. Men, how many of you, your wife, when you come home from battle every day, she has written a song and she sings in triumph over you? Raise your hands, guys. Anybody like that? I'm, 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 I'm waiting for Rebecca to, to do that, you know, to have her, husband. You have slain your 10,000th. Anyway, th this was David. He was known as, a, yeah, yeah, that wasn't good. He was known as a war hero. Now, while he was known as a war hero, I want us to look at this because, yes, he rose to notoriety when he killed Goliath and when he w won all those battles. And so, yeah, he would come back from battle and all the women would sing these war songs about him, about how great he was. But why was David really great? Many would say he was great because he won the battle. He was a warrior. But I would submit to you that here in 1 Samuel 17, we see that David was great because he brought a lunch. Look at verses 17 and 18. It says, Jesse said unto, his, unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves. And run to the camp to thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand. And look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. You know what David did? He was Grubhub South. He was literally delivering food. He, he, was, he was working um, uh, out in the fields. In fact, when, when, uh, when Samuel had come by to, to anoint a new king, David wasn't even in the house at that point. He was out in the fields taking care of the sheep. He was a servant. He was a hard worker. He did what his father told him to do. And so David was the youngest of eight brothers, the youngest son of his father, Jesse. The older brothers had gone out to battle, and they were about to, of course, fight the Philistines and fight, fight Goliath. And the, and the father, Jesse, said to David that he needed him to deliver a lunch and check on his brothers. And so that's exactly what David did. David did what he knew to do right then and there to serve, to be a blessing, to make a difference. So, David, you want to fight one day in the battle? Then first, you've got to bring a lunch. First, are you willing to do what may seem insignificant to many, but is vital to God? In the process of David doing what God had told him to do right then and there, it opened up opportunities for, for David to do other things for God down the road. Do you see that? Do you see how faithfulness in doing the little things, taking a lunch, that wasn't a big deal. I'm sure that when David started out his day, he didn't think, he didn't imagine how taking a lunch to his brothers was about to change his entire life. And so as we're serving God, God tells all of us that we all can start by serving him by simply taking lunch. What does that mean? It means doing what you know to do today. Not looking at the Goliaths, not looking at all the potential things you might do, but doing what you know to do right now. What isn't often visible to others behind the scenes. Those are the things, are the ways that you get promoted in the kingdom of God. It's not by self-promotion 
but it's by selflessly serving others. The greatest among you is your servant. So will we be obedient to bring a lunch? Are we willing to do what is right in front of us? Are we willing to do that today for others and for God's glory? So the first way that all of us can serve is in, quote, bringing a lunch. Doing what God tells us to do today. Not to wait and do, oh, well, I'll do that tomorrow or I'll do that the next day. Today. Number, three, uh, number two, the, the second way we can serve. The second way that we can selflessly serve others is number two, offering a ride. Offering a ride. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. This is an amazing story in the New Testament. Um, and, and, and it's interesting in a lot of ways because you wonder, what was going on in this guy's mind when the disciples came up and said, hey, we need your donkey. The master, the Lord has need of it. Uh, there's an Old Testament prophecy that was made about 553 years before this story in Luke 19. In fact, Zechariah 9 verse 9 says that one of the prophecies of the Messiah is going to be that he's going to ride into Jerusalem upon a donkey. And you can see that verse there. That verse was, that prophecy was made 553 years before what happens in Luke chapter 19 that we're about to read. And so this prophecy probably sounded, here in Zechariah 9, it probably sounded a little bit uh, unbelievable and impossible because a king would not have ridden into town on a lowly donkey. Most likely a king would have ridden into town on a white horse with flowing robes and a crown upon his head. It would be like, um, you know, the, 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 the president coming into uh, North Alabama. He would have a limousine, an entire entourage. There would be flashing lights. The president wouldn't ride into North Alabama on a moped, you know. But this prophecy was made, and 553 years later, this man who evidently owned a donkey dealership was about to be instrumental in fulfilling that prophecy. Wow. So because a guy was willing to serve the Lord, a prophecy was able to be fulfilled that was made 553 years beforehand. So look at what it says in Luke 19, verses 30 and 31. Go ye into the village over against you, in the which at your entering ye shall find a colt, a donkey tied, whereon yet never a man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. So Jesus tells these disciples to go to the donkey dealership, look at all the donkeys, find the lowest mileage donkey, the new one, and just take it. And if the guy asks you why you need it, just say, the master has need of it. Now, how many, of that, how many of you that would work today if some random stranger came into your driveway and got the new vehicle with low miles on it? Yeah, some people got some new vehicles this week. I saw the Facebook post. And they were just to get your keys, crank it up, and say, yeah, the master has need of it. <laughs> Probably not going to work. But this guy says, yes. If he has need of it, yes. We don't have a lot of details of the story. But evidently, he said yes, because Jesus then finds himself riding into Jerusalem on this donkey. The Lord needs it. So again, we don't know if this was a businessman who had a donkey dealership, or if this was a man who only had one donkey. We don't know his name. We don't know exactly what he did for a living. We can assume that he was somewhat well off because he had this never-before-ridden donkey, especially the low-mileage one. And the man responded, yes, you can have my ride. What does this mean? He was basically saying, God, you can have my best. 
I won't give you the donkey that's about to kill over. No, God, if you're asking for the best, you can have the best. You know what a servant is? A servant is someone who isn't focused on giving God the scraps, but giving the master the best. Offering a ride, bringing a lunch. How can we serve the Lord? Oh, yeah, we might not be able to stand in front of people or to, or to speak and teach in a group or to do this thing that we're focused on what we can't do. But what can we do? We can bring a lunch. We can offer a ride. And number three, turn with me to John 13. We can bring a lunch. We can offer a ride. We can do what we know to do today. Bring a lunch. We can offer a ride. We can give God our best. But number three, we can carry a towel carry a towel. John chapter 13 verses 4 and 5, we'll, we'll read that here in a second. This is one of, I mean, if you, if you had to lay out some of the most powerful passages on being a servant in the Bible, this has to be, I would say, number one or number two. The setting is just before Passover. Jesus was seated there with his disciples and he knows that he is about to go to the cross, and he's about to lay his life down for us. Can you think, think in your life when you have something really weighing on your mind? How many of you would say right now, Pastor Brian, this week I've had something really heavy weighing on my mind. Anybody want to share? Okay. Um, how many of you are like me? When you've got something really weighing on your mind, it's very easy for us to get focused on ourselves. You're, you're focused on the worries that are going on in your head, the, the burdens that you're carrying. And the challenge is, is in those times, not to focus on me time. This is why this story that we're about to read is so incredible, because Jesus in his humanity was going through what you go through when you carry the greatest burdens of your life. And he was going through the temptations, I believe. Yes, he was tempted in the wilderness, but it says the devil only departed from him for a season. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He went through all sorts of temptation like we do, yet without sin. And I believe in this moment, as he had the, the weight of the world literally crushing upon him, we're, we're, we're going to read here in a moment when he goes into the garden and he's going to be praying and, and sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. Literally, most doctors say that Jesus died from, from asphyxiation, but also a burst heart. And so he's carrying this weight upon him. And, and, and all of us know that the temptation of when we're carrying a weight upon us, we're not worried about anything else but carrying that weight. We're certainly not focused on carrying a towel for others, are we? And so Jesus is here at this supper. He understands the gravity of what's about to happen. He understands the relational heartbreak that's about to happen. One of his very own is about to betray him. And guess what the disciples start arguing over? Who's the goat? In a companion passage to this, you have to put together the Gospels as you study this out because each Gospel gives its own unique uh, account of the life of Christ. In Luke 22, verses 24 through 30, the disciples start arguing, who's the goat? Who's the greatest of all time? And so John and Peter and, and all the disciples start arguing about who's the greatest. What does Jesus do? In that moment, as they were arguing about who's the goat, with the weight of everything upon Jesus, look at verses 4 and 5 of John 13. 
The Bible says this. He rises from supper. He lays aside his garments. And he took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. This, in and of itself, without us knowing that Jesus was carrying this weight upon him and all the things going on in his mind, this alone would have been the most scandalous and shocking selfless act of service imaginable in that culture. Why? As, as, as many of you might know, foot washing was a custom that showed hospitality in that culture, much like how we show signs of hospitality today, where someone comes in, we take their coat, and we offer them a cup of coffee or some tea or something, maybe fried chicken and a biscuit, but we, we offer them something, right? I mean, that's what typical Southerners do. That's the cult customs of hospitality. In this culture, certainly food was involved in that, but one of the most basic customs of that time was foot washing because feet were filthy. But the host of the house would never wash the feet. Why? Because feet were nasty. Now, we don't want to talk about people's feet today because even with Nikes and socks, feet are still gross. But can you imagine in that day? All they had were sandals. And they were walking through dirt streets, and they did not have modern plumbing. And as you can imagine, any length of travel in sandals in that day, your feet are disgusting. And so the host certainly would not wash feet. Only slaves, the lowest of the low. And we're talking the lowest of the low of the slaves. Those were the ones that washed feet. And so this was shocking. Jesus is sitting there, and what he sees is proud hearts and dirty feet. And so Jesus rises and does what only a slave would do. He stoops, stoops low. He puts on an apron. He picks up a towel, and he starts washing feet. Who is Jesus Christ? Well, the Bible tells us he's the son of God. He's the bread of life. He's the prince of peace. He's the living water. He's the great I am. He's the great high priest. He's the light of the world. He's the lamb of God. He's the righteous judge. He is the living stone. He is the true vine. He is the king of glory. He is the chosen one. He is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. He is the alpha and omega. He's the beginning and the end, the greatest. Uh, he's the first and the last. He's our redeemer. He is our righteousness. He is our sanctification. He is our rock. He is our Lord. And that Jesus knelt down and served and took a bowl, carried a towel, and washed feet. What was Jesus showing? He was showing that the greatest among us is never a self-promoter. The greatest among us is not focused on being the goat. The greatest among us is always focused on what they can do for others. The greatest is always a servant. Jesus said of himself that he did not come to be served, but he came to serve others, to give of himself as a ransom for sins. That's who he was. He was a servant. It wasn't just something he did. It was at the core of who he was. Now, here's what's amazing. Because to me, there are some people that are easier to serve than others right? Maybe it's easier to serve our family 
Maybe it's easier to serve those we like. But what about people who are about to stab you in the back and hand you over to be executed? How hard would it be to serve them? See, as you read John chapter 13, what you realize is over in verse 27, Judas has been sitting here this whole time. And what you discover is the extent to which Jesus would serve other people. Literally, he would serve people so far that Judas would betray Jesus with clean feet. That's how far Jesus went in serving others. That's grace. That's that's so otherworldly that it has to come from heaven. That kind of service. Judas betrays Jesus with clean feet. So what are you and I always doing? Wouldn't it be amazing if it could be said of you and I that we're always bringing someone a lunch? We're always offering somebody a ride. We're always carrying a towel. We're always holding a baby. We're always greeting people at a door. We're always giving someone the benefit of the doubt. We're always looking for ways to encourage others. We're always giving towards a special need. We're always praying. We're always seeking for ways to serve God and others and make an impact beyond us. How do you become great? Not through self-promotion, but by selflessly serving others. And so the challenge today for all of us is to have a consistent place where we serve. Yes, doing the acts of service, but today's message has been really focused on a servant is who you are. And so a servant sees the things right in front of them today and they carry a lunch. They see the menial task as being important to the master plan. And so they do that, and then they offer a ride. They're willing to give God their best, even if it doesn't make sense at first. And then a servant, because of who they are, they serve everybody, not just the people they like, but the people who are their enemies. They wash their feet. That's what being a servant is all about. And so the challenge for us today is is that we would have a consistent place where we serve, that 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 would begin here in this local church, finding a team to get plugged into and serving, and then moving that out from this local church and serving in our community 